Indeed. That's a little early for an indeed, Alton. That's how I feel this morning. Um, I, uh, I've had this sermon on my calendar for several weeks. I got to, to where I was, I was writing it this week, and I tried to get off of it. I, wanted, I, I thought, I'm not ready for this sermon. Uh, I need to leave. It was supposed to be part of a three-week sermon. I can't finish it right now, um, but we're starting it because I, I tried to leave this sermon, and, and God kept putting it back in front of me, and, and I'm going to tell you how he, he did that. And we're going to talk about the world we live in and why we're worse at sharing our faith than we used to today. And how we can be better, but some things have got to change. Um, there's an author named James Smith who writes a lot about uh, kind of the, the sociology of the world that we live in. See, the microphone doesn't even want to do this sermon. It's trying to run away. Um, James K. A. Smith talks about how there was a time in this country and, and in the West at large, in Europe and part of the, the world that most of us are more familiar with, where everyone was a Christian and they were a Christian without giving it much thought. You just were. And so if you ask most Christian, and Kevin talked about it in his communion thoughts this, this morning, that we ought to be able as children of God to give the reason for our hope. That at a moment's notice, we should be able to say, I do believe, and this is why. And this is why my faith in Jesus Christ gives me, gives me hope. We should know the answer to that question and be ready to give it at any moment. Uh, and it used to be that we lived in a world where everyone was a Christian, but for so many of them, the reason they were is because I was yesterday, why wouldn't I be today? My parents were, so I guess I am also. I'm a, I'm a graduate of VBS, and so I think that makes me a follower of Jesus Christ. Th that was really the world that we lived in, where everyone was a Christian. Uh, I remember in, in middle school, I lived in a middle school where people did all the kinds of depraved things that middle schoolers are prone to do when adults aren't looking. Uh, I was in one of those schools. Um, and, but everyone claimed to be a Christian. Uh, FAA, uh, the, or not FAA, uh, whatever the, the Christian Athletes Club, FCA, Fellowship of Christian Athletes, would have meetings. Um, and it was the same group that would be at a party on Friday night was at FCA on Thursday night. And I think they would use FCA meetings to actually plan their Friday evening get-togethers where they would be doing the things that the minister on FCA was telling them they ought not to be doing. But they were all Christian. Uh, until we had a guy that moved to our school from California, and he showed up, and he was kind of a unicorn. We had never met someone who was like this before. He came to school, and he claimed to be something called an atheist. And we all went, wow, we've heard about you, but we've never seen one of you in person. And he was confusing because he got better grades and made better choices and was a more moral person than some of the people that were at FCA every Thursday night. And it caused us to kind of do things, but, but we did what middle schoolers would do with something they never met before, and we would kind of make fun of him because, you know, what do you believe in? Like the God of science? And, and we made all these jokes because we had never encountered that before. Because back then, everyone was a Christian without giving it much thought, and it didn't always impact their life. We live in a world today where the climate has changed, where atheism and a lack of belief in people that are uh, have left Jesus Christ are growing in number. In our young adults today, the, most, the fastest growing religion is called those who have the religion of none. 
the nuns in the world, people who claim no religious affiliation, no uh, commitment or devotion to Christianity, church, faith, or, or any other type of belief in an organized religion. And so they're not unusual anymore. And, and I think as I encounter preachers, and maybe as you do too, what you'll find is there tend to be two kinds of preachers, that there's those who look at the world and, and, and realize that this, this dichotomy exists. And there, there's probably different ways that they can describe it, but this is the one I like. That if you have to choose between a world where everyone claims to be Christian, but without any great thought and without it making a great difference in their life, if that's one option... And the other option is a world where a few people are Christians, but with great thought and with great counting of the cost and with great commitment, give me this church. That's the church I want. Is it harder to be that church in a world that is questioning our faith? It is. Does that mean that those of us who are willing to live in that church and in this world are, are closer to the disciples that we read about in the New Testament? I believe it does. Does the witness of this church have so much to offer the world? I believe that it, it does. But we're uncomfortable here. It's harder over here. It's more difficult to live a life of faith. When everyone claims to be Christian, it's kind of like going on a walk on a, on a smooth field that's well mowed and cared for and tended after, and it's easy to walk. In this world over here where a few people are Christian but with great thought, it's kind of like walking through quicksand. It's a lot more work. It's a lot more challenging. There's a lot more things that are against us. And we need to understand the world that we're living in if we're going to be light and salt to a world that desperately needs real light and real salt. And so as I tried to get out of this sermon this week, one of the things that, that happened is I was driving here and I was listening, I don't remember if it was a radio show or a podcast, but one of the, uh, the two people that were kind of d d talking in this, this program, uh, one of them was named Joey. And uh, as they were talking about it, uh, the woman that, that was co-hosting with them and the guy, and I'm not giving you their names because I don't want you to get hung up on who it was. We spent too much time being mad at someone for saying something we didn't like than hearing what, what they're saying. I'm going to talk about what they said, not about who they are. Um, but I've got to tell you, his name is Joey because it's important to the story. Uh, she says, hey, I, I got someone's name mixed up the other day, and I felt so bad. His name was uh, Tommy, and I said, oh, is that short for Thomas? And he says, no, my name's Tommy. She said, I felt so bad that I messed his name up. Why would I assume that his name's not what his name is? Uh, that's, that was inappropriate of me. And, and the guy says, I don't think it's that big of a deal. She said, why do people do that anyways? Why do you name your kid one thing when you know you're going to call them something else? I, by the way, am one of those people. Named one thing, called something else from day one. Um, she says, you're one of those people, she says to Joey. Your name's Joel, right? Uh, your name's Joel, and, and your mom always called you Joey. Why not just name you Joey? He says, I have no idea. I don't know why she did that. It's the craziest thing to me. I don't know why she didn't just name me Joey. Why bother naming me Joel uh, when she's going to call me Joey my whole life? Anyone calls me Joel and she'll say, that's not his name. His name's Joey. And she's like, why did, why did your mom do that? Because I don't know. I have no idea. And he says, one time she said something about she wanted me to have a Bible name. But I don't know. She says, is, is Joel in the Bible? And he says, I don't know. That's what I just told you. 
she said it one time, maybe he is. And she goes, I'll check. Is there a Joel in the Bible? And so she goes to the place where you go to look up Bible things, Google, and she's, she's Googling it. And, um, and she says, I, I don't know if, if Joel's in the Bible or not. And he says, well, I don't either, but that's what my mom said. I guess that's why I got my name. Uh, and and she, she goes, oh, look, Joel's a book in the Bible. You're a book in the Bible. And he says, okay, there you go. He says, is that Old Testament or New Testament? She goes, I don't know. How do you find that out? He says, I don't know. Uh, and she says, well, I, I guess I'll, is it, let's see, there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I used to know all of these. And there's a song, and I knew the whole song. So I think that's, maybe it's in the other one. What's the other one? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. I used to know all of these, but that's all I can remember today. So which one is it in? And he says, I don't know, maybe it's close to first Corinthians. Is that it? <laughs> is it second Corinthians? Could it be close to to one of the Corinthians? Uh, and she says, that doesn't feel right. I'm not sure why. Here it is. It's in the Old Testament. The book of Joel is in the Old Testament. It's got locusts. I think it's about the end of the world and stuff. And he says, oh, because I don't mean to argue with you or anything, but isn't Revelation the one that's about the end of the world and stuff? And she goes, yeah, I don't know what it's about. I just set that up because I assumed a book that you're named after would be about bad things. <laughs> and he goes, yeah, I don't think so. Uh, and she says, well, anyways, it's a, it's a book in the Old Testament. She goes, it's really weird. I really used to know all of those. And he goes, did you really? She goes, yeah. He goes, huh. Well, I never did. Anyways, what's next? And I was struck by this conversation. I was completely struck by this conversation. Because here you have uh, someone who, as soon as, as he said, I don't know why my mom named me Joel and called me Joey, I thought, in my minister brain, she wanted you to have a Bible name. She had told him that, and he wasn't sure that there was someone named Joel in the Bible. And at the same time, uh, the, the woman who's having this conversation with him as they're going back and forth has this echo of a memory of knowing all of the books of the Bible, which is, by the way, advanced vacation Bible school level learning. She's not only a graduate of Vacation Bible School, uh, she's someone that has memorized all 66 books of the Bible in their order first, uh, you know, Old Testament and New Testament, and she can't remember if Joel was one of them or not, or which one of the Testaments it was in. And maybe it was a bit for the show and maybe it wasn't, I, I don't know. But listening to them have these echoes of memories of things they used to know struck me. About a day later, either God or Facebook's algorithm, one or the other, showed me a comedian. And this comedian was on stage, and she was kind of making a joke. Uh, and she starts out, uh, and she says uh, in this bit, How many of you guys grew up with God and faith, and now you've left it as an adult? And the crowd just cheers. They loved this joke already. They're, they're very familiar with this idea of, I used to go to church, and I used to have faith, and I used to believe in God, and now I'm an adult, and I've left all that behind. And this is very popular in the room that she's making these jokes in. How many of you as an adult left the church and left God? And she says, how awful is it when you've left God, and suddenly your good adult friends find God and fall in love with Him, and they're so excited? Isn't that the worst and the room goes, yes. She says it's so awful because it, it feels like 
you were in a relationship with God, and then you kind of felt how toxic it was, and you kind of got tired of the manipulation, and so you broke up with God, and you broke up with the church, and now your friends are dating God, and you're like, hey, uh, it feels really bad watching you brag about being with my ex. And, and can I just sit you down and warn you that God's great at first, and church is great at first, but once you're in it for a little while, God gets real bossy. And it's not as much fun as it was in the beginning. And if I could just warn you now to go ahead and get out, I'm going to save you a lot of heartache. And the crowd loved it. And I thought, okay, God, we got to talk about this. We're going to talk about this. And so my attempts to not talk about this got messed up. Uh, they got interrupted, and so here we are talking about this. Uh, there was a study done 10 or 15 years ago, and I've learned uh, that I'm now old enough that when I say 10 to 15, it's probably 15 to 20 years ago, and I don't like it, but there it is. A uh, study came out, I think it was called Unchristian or something like that, uh, but the study came out, and, and what they were doing in this study was they were going and they were talking to people who didn't go to church and who didn't have any interest in the Christian faith, and they were asking them, why not? What do you not like about Christianity? What do you not like about the church? And they took all of the data, and they put it together, and they wrote a book, and they gave it to Christians to say, hey, when you want to know why nobody wants to come and hear what your faith has to offer, here's what they said. So if you can't answer these objections and these criticisms, you have nothing to offer them. It was a very popular book. Partway through that book, they made an observation. They made an observation that the criticisms about Christians and churches had something about them that sounded a little bit familiar. They kept using these words that only Christians use. And they kept saying these things about church that only people who had been to church would know to talk about. And what they begin to realize is these aren't people who have never known God. These aren't people who have never been in a church. These are people that grew up in churches. These are people that, that used to go on youth group mission trips. These are people that, that grew up praying to God and don't anymore. These were former Christians who had broken up with God and were now looking back at the church with all the criticisms and reasons they left. That's a different challenge. If we're, as Christians, if we believe that God wants us to go to the world and tell them about who God is and what He's done, that's a different challenge than we've had in the past. Because when you go up to someone, uh, and this is what was so much fun about doing Bible studies in Guyana when I was a kid and I was a teenager, and we would go, and I would say, what do you know about Jesus? And they would say, not much. And I would go, this is amazing. You're a blank slate, and I get to speak the truth of the gospel into you without all of your pre preconceived notions and, and create this understanding of Jesus. We don't have that luxury much in our neighborhood today in our families today. We tell people, what do you know about Jesus? And they say, I know enough. I dumped him. I walked away. I left the church. I left God. I left the Bible. I'm done with it. That's a different challenge. And so it used to be that we could have, uh, in our own way, our form of, of green eggs and ham evangelism. Okay? You familiar with green eggs and ham? 
Sam I am, try green eggs and ham. Uh, try them on a train and in the rain and in a boat and with a goat and in a fox in a box or a mouse in a house. I will not try them, Sam I am. I will not try green eggs and ham. And, and Sam is convinced that if you'll just try them, yes. you're going to love green eggs and ham. Right. If you'll just give green eggs and ham a chance, you're going to love them. And the church used to be able to do that. We'd go find people who had never experienced God, and we'd say to them, hey, have you tried God? And they'd say, no, I don't want to try God. We'd say, but wait, have you tried him in a box or with a fox? Try him in a train and in the rain or a goat in a boat? Can you just, if you just try them once, I know that you'll love God. If you just try church, I know that you'll love church. And eventually someone would say, fine, I'll try church if you'll just leave me alone, because I know I'm going to try it and I'm not going to like it. And we would grin because we know we've got a pretty good product. God is good all the time. And all the time God is good. And so if I could just get you to taste God, you're going to know that he's good. And so we have this green eggs and ham evangelism, and we get people to try it, we'd get them to church, and they would try it, and they would go, man, you're right. I don't know how I got through my life without green eggs and ham. I don't know how I got through a day without God in my life. I want what you've got. And we could say, I told you so, which feels good whether you're a Christian or not. We don't get to do that much anymore. Because now we go up to people and we say, hey, have you tried green eggs and ham? And they say, yeah, I don't like it. Used to eat it a lot. Got tired of it. Won't eat it again. And we kind of want to go back to our old ways of doing this, which is saying, but have you tried it on a train? And like, it's the same in the train and in the rain and the box and the fox and the house. And I'm not interested in the green eggs and ham anymore. Stop talking to me about green eggs and ham. And what we say then is, okay, if you don't want me to talk about it, I won't talk about it anymore. And as a result of that, what has happened is that the church has developed evangelistic laryngitis. The world said, stop talking about it, and we said, okay, we won't. The world said, we're not interested, and we said, I, we don't blame you, uh, sorry to bother you, carry on as you were. I'm sure you're happy enough without green eggs and ham. So we have a new challenge today. We're not seekers and savers of lost people with blank slates. We are now people who are called to be retrievers of leavers. God's calling us to go out and seek and save those who left. God's calling us to go find those who don't want him and know they have tasted and spit him out of their mouth and they don't want that again. And so it's a very different challenge because we can't just go to them and say, can I tell you about my Jesus? Because their answer is, uh, no, I've already tried it and I'm not interested. And so it takes a different set of, uh, of approaches and muscles and skill sets and a willingness to have longer conversations. Conversations that are going to involve a lot more of our mouths being closed and ears being open if we want to seat at those tables. We used to have two big ways when it comes to being retrievers of leavers. 
uh, two things that, that were kind of in our tool bag as Christians. The first one was this. Uh, the first one was uh, young, you know, t- older teenagers and young adults, uh, they were going to go sow their wild oats. They're going to go kind of do, go their own way, do their own thing, but there's something that's coming in their future that we all know about and that, that might surprise them. They're all going to get married soon, and they're going to have babies. And when they have babies, they're going to do what we all did when we have babies. Panic because you feel inadequate and unprepared to raise one of these. Remember the first time you hold your kid and like the nurse hands it to you like it's a football and you hold it like it's a fine piece of china because you're going to break it? You're like, who is going to teach me how to raise this? And for generations, people who have not been at church for, for months or years of their lives all of a sudden go, I need a church to help me do this. If I'm going to raise this kid to have good morals and good values, I've got to get back to church. And so they come running back to church and they say, I'm married and I've got a kid. And we go, great, we know what to do with you. And we plug them in and we're ready to go. And that's how we get those who left to come back. As we partner with them in raising their kids and being a community of people that wrap our arms around parents and say, we're going to be family together to your children. And and young parents who are panicking go, oh, thank God. And we start up again from there. We've got a generation today that, one, isn't getting married until their 30s. Two, that is embracing a life of singleness and even singleness with commitment and devotion to God. Thank God that they're doing that. But if your strategy for getting leavers to return is waiting for them to get married and have kids, you may have to wait 12 years after their senior Sunday before their kid comes to your church. And in that 12 years, they might get out of the habit and out of any interest in the God that you're worshiping on Sundays. And so we might need to spend more time pouring ourselves into our young single adults and not just waiting for them to come back because we know they're going to have kids soon. That world's changed. It's moved. And the other thing that we've done over the years to retrieve the leavers is we've kind of said, hey, we get the story of the prodigal son. And here's how the story works. The prodigal son uh, takes his father's blessings and wealth, and he goes out and he squanders it, and he ends up in a pig pen, and he's eating the pig's slop. And he gets to that point where he's so low, and he's squandered all of the father's blessings in wild living. And and what we as Christians would do is we would come over to the edge of the pit, we would look at the pig pen where, where, where the leavers are down there, and they've hit rock bottom. And we're really good at going to people on rock bottom and going, hey, one out, and they would, when they're at rock bottom, there was a large percentage of them that would say, yes, in my father's house is certainly better than down here eating pig slop. And we would say, yeah, we were waiting for you to say that. Come on up, come on up, come back, come home, because God is gracious and we are loving and we're going to bring you in and love you back into the fold. And so there's these kinds of beautiful stories of reclamation of all these people that, that got out in wild, prodigal living. And we pick them up off the bottom as Jesus taught us to do, and we pull them back up, and we say, aren't you glad to be back? The problem is that in today's world of so many people who have broken up with God in the church, and they're, they're not in the pit They didn't go out and squander all of their blessings that God gave them in wild living and find themselves eating in the pig pen. At least they don't perceive that, and we don't either. And so now what we have to do is we kind of go to their their middle income, upper income house, and we knock on the door and and we kind of say, hey, your life's kind of together. Are you ready to come back to church? They go, no. 
I'm doing just fine. Are you ready to leave? And we kind of look at their life and we look at ours. And we live in a world where their offer to us is sometimes as appealing as our offer to them. And that's confusing to us. Because we go back and we read the story in Luke 15 of the prodigal son and we think, man, everyone that stays with the father should be happy and blessed. And everyone that leaves is supposed to be in a pig pen. But there's all these people that left the church and they seem to be doing okay. Now what you and I know is that they've been separated from the flock and there's danger out there. But they don't feel that. They're not in the pit waiting for us to come up and rescue them out of it with the grace and love and and mercy of Jesus Christ and welcome them back into the family to a better way of living that beats pig food. So our message is harder. Our appeal to a world of lost people and a world of nuns is more difficult than it used to be. Because our tools of wait till they have kids, use green eggs and ham evangelism, and our tools of uh, of just go to the pig pen and find the people who have hit rock bottom, and those are the people that are really good at coming back into the church. We're ready for them. We know how to do that. Those muscles are strong with us. We live in a world where people aren't in any of those circumstances or situations, and we don't know how to invite them back into a life of faith and a walk with Jesus Christ. And I wanted to move off of this sermon because I don't have the answer. And I thought maybe I'll wait until I have the answer to this problem before I, I preach on it. So I can give you the answer and we can all do it. But, but we can't do that. Right. Good. Right. And so in 1 Peter, Peter's writing. And here's what he says yes. Yes. in 1 Peter chapter 5. He says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. So here's, here's where we are. Any of you know how, any of you watch Discovery Channel and watch Lions Hunt? They don't go after... The whole herd, do they? Lions start circling the herd, and then they run right at the middle, and they split the herd into two groups. And then they pick the smaller of those two groups, and they run right at the middle, and they split it into two groups. Has Satan done this to churches? Anyone heard about this story before, where the churches get split into groups? And then he goes after the one, one, con- one little flock that's left, and he goes right at the middle and splits them up. And then eventually, there's just the one. Right. And they love it when it's the weak one or the young one, or the old one, or the sick one, or the one that's struggling with different stuff, and they get it separated, and then the lions have the one that they've been waiting for. And, and if, that, if that one could just get back with the others, there's, there's safety and there's security, but by itself out here, it's lion food. It's lion food. 
And the Apostle Peter, who was with Jesus and saw Jesus minister in so many ways, and the Spirit was strong with Peter, and he's writing this story, and he says, here's what you need to know. Satan is like a lion that wants to devour you. You know how that lion wants to devour you? He wants to just split you off from the group. And it's when you're split off from the group that the lion is ready to devour you. I did a class back when I was a youth minister, and we used all kinds of special and effects and, and all kinds of games and activities and, and things to convince people of spiritual truths. And, and I was doing a thing at a camp up at Oklahoma Christian. And so we took a room and we covered the room in tarps around kind of in the perimeter and we put smoke machines in it. We put uh, a strobe light in it. We put loud music in it. Uh, and we turned off the lights and we told the kids that their job uh, was to sit on and pop as many balloons as they possibly could uh, in this little space uh, in about, we gave them two minutes. What they didn't know is that while they were doing this activity is that there were a couple of openings in the tarps where we would grab kids in totally safe and appropriate ways and pull them out and say, hey, shh, don't say anything. And we'd get three, a class, a group of about 20 kids. We'd pull about four or five of them out and we'd say, just sit here on the outside of the tarps and don't say anything. And then we turned the lights back on and turned off all the special effects. And we'd have to ask the kids uh, how many balloons they got. And they'd give us a number. And we'd say, what did you notice while you were in the room? And they'd talk about things they noticed and how they did this or that and this part of the adventure and the fun. And, and we'd ask them what was different about now than before they went in there. And they would come up with several things. And most of the groups never got to the awareness that their friends that they came in with were no longer with them. And we read 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 8 through 11. And sometimes by the end of that, they would say, hey, where'd my friend go? Where's Tommy? Where's my friend? And we'd say, hey, here's what we did, is while you weren't looking, while you were busy, while you were distracted, we started pulling off one or two or three or four, and you didn't notice. Guess who's really, really good at that? The devil. The lion. The one who wants to pull off one and two and get them separated and isolated and devour them while the herd just moves on. And we ask these kids, do you know people that used to be in your youth group? Or I ask you today, do you know people that used to be in church? Maybe it's your family and it wasn't this church, but they don't go to any church anymore. Maybe they go to your workplace and it wasn't this church, but they don't have any relationship with God anymore. And they've been pulled out of, uh, of the room while you were distracted by all the things going on in your life and in this world. And I'll be honest, there's been more distractions in the last three, four, five years that have distracted us from the ones that Satan's pulled to the outside than there's ever been maybe before, certainly in recent memory. And we all have people in our lives and in our families, in our communities, in our neighborhoods who are like the, the people on the radio or the comedian or all of their audience members who, who when asked, did you used to go to church and break up with church and God? And they cheer. God split them off from the family. And it's dangerous out there. And they don't know it. But we should. We've forgotten. But we've got to remember. 
We've got to remember that our brothers and sisters are out there where it's dangerous. Where the lion is prowling and wanting to devour them. We have got to get people who eliminate isolation. We need people that when some people slip out the door that we chase them down. We have to become anti-isolationist as Christians today. Because Satan is using the isolation of our brothers and sisters to put them in harm's way, and we're standing by and letting it happen. We have to become the shepherds who say, if there's a lost sheep, I'm going to go get it. We have to become the people that say, listen, I, I don't care if you're leaving on purpose. I'm chasing you on purpose. You're going to have to outrun me. I'm not willing to let you be in harm's way just because I'm unwilling to have hard conversations. And that's what it's going to take. When it comes to chasing lost sheep who feel good about being lost, you can't just say, hey, church is over here. Did you forget? Did you lose your directions? I can give you directions to church. They chose to not follow those directions to church. And so you can't just go tell them to come back. You're going to have to start by chasing them down, being anti-isolationists, being shepherds who go to them. But when you get there, your first tool has to be listening. Not so that you can negate their answers, not so that you can contradict their answers, so that you can listen empathetically and compassionately and hear what has hurt them in a way that might open the door to Christ's healing. How do you chase lost sheep? You walk towards them. You listen to why they left. You acknowledge their feelings without negating or contradicting, and you be patient. And, and sometimes they've left because of years of being wounded, and you probably don't have enough in your tool bag to fix years of woundedness in a few seconds or a few minutes. So you might need to be ready to get into that relationship for a little while to love them and sit with them while they do the healing work of coming back. That's okay. That's the work of being a chaser of lost sheep in the world that we live in today. Now, here's the thing. I don't have, I told you this earlier, I don't have the answer, but here's what I do know. Here's what I know with all my heart is that we have to start praying about this. We have to be uh, covering our brothers and sisters that are in isolation today with prayer. And we've got to be asking God in prayer to begin equipping us to be the people that go to them and bring them back into the safety of the herd and of the flock. And so here's the prayer that I'm, I'm begging you in your prayer time right now this year. Add these three pieces to your prayer. In your prayer time, when we've got prayer leaders coming at this church to lead prayers in this congregation, add these three things to your prayers. When you gather together with, with anyone that you pray with, add these things to your prayers. And here's what I want to ask that you would be praying is these three things. God, Father God, help me to see lost people. Help me to see them. Help me to see them and to not see them and be blind and oblivious to their spiritual condition. But God, help me to see them as people that need to be restored to you. 
as people that need to be saved, as people that are, are living life outside of your family into the, in the dangers of the lion-infested wilderness, and to see them. And help me to hear their stories. In the past, it was enough that we were willing to tell people our story and the reason for our faith. Today, we've got to start by hearing their story of unfaith before they're willing to consider our story of faith. Help me to hear their stories. Help me, God, to see lost people, to hear their stories, and finally, to speak God's love and truth to them. Most people want to do love or truth. You've got to do both. We've got to become the people of all of it. And so here's this, this picture that you may be familiar with, right? The three monkeys. Hear no evil, see no evil, speak no evil. If, you're, if you forget this week, what is it I'm supposed to be praying about? Grab this image of the three monkeys and go, oh, I remember. This is what Christians look like to the world today. We don't see the lost people, we don't hear their stories, and we don't say anything to them about the reason we have for faith, speaking truth and love to them. So if you can't remember to see lost people, to hear their stories, and to speak God's love and truth to them, here's what you need to remember. God, help me to not be like the monkeys. God, help us to be people that, that see the lost that hear their stories, that speak your truth and love to them. Let's pray about this. Because let me tell you, I, when I look at the world today, and when I see the number of people, the growing nuns in our world, the people that have left Jesus and don't want him back, the people that cheer when they talk about breaking up with God in the church, when I hear all that, and I look at the task that we have of changing their minds and inviting them back out of the lion wilderness and into the safety of the herd, when I think about the task that's there, Every instinct I have is to think that it's just not possible. Except that we know that what is impossible with people is possible with God. And so before we start doing this work, and if you're ready to go, just go. But if you need prayer and you're thinking, I'm not sure how to do this and what to do, welcome to the place where, where I'm in this week where I'm going to start asking God to start changing me into someone who can see, hear, and speak in ways that the world needs so that they can come out of the lion-infested wilderness and into the safety of the family. And I want to ask that you will join me in these prayers this year as we step forward into these spaces and, and step forward speaking to these faces of people who have left. If you're here today, if you're anywhere in the world listening to this sermon and, and joining us in worship online today, and you've left the flock, then please hear this. Please hear what, what, what God badly desires you to hear and know and believe. I am praying for you. This church is praying for you. This church will listen when you're ready to talk. Will listen. If you've talked to Christians before and, th and thought they won't stop talking long enough to hear what, what is on my heart, 
will listen. You need to know that we aren't perfect, but I can promise you that in this church family of imperfect people, it's safer in here than it is out there with the lions. And if you need out of that space, come on in and we'll be safe together while we do this whole journey with Jesus thing. God's ready for you to come home. God loves you. And we will too. If you need to respond to that invitation, come forward this morning or reach out to this church in any way that you need to as we stand and sing.